You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. From darkness to light, this is the story we all share as the people of God. He draws us out to draw us in. From the birth of Israel to the church today, God delivers and dwells with his people. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to be home. Um, Dan and I got home from Nepal on Tuesday night. Um, I'm pretty sure my body still has no idea what time zone I'm in. And so I'd appreciate your prayers as we continue to recover from that. Um, Looking forward in the next um, weeks here very, very soon to share with you about what we experienced and learned and the partnership that we are looking very forward to. Um, to reach that part of the world with the gospel. Um, If you have any knowledge of or familiarity with politics, you have probably heard of the filibuster. Um, A filibuster is a prolonged speech or monologue that's intended to impede the progress of legislative action. Let me put that in English for you. It's an intentional effort to procrastinate something from happening that you don't want to see happen. Um, A few years ago, I think it was like 2012, um, Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, had a filibuster that lasted about 11 or 12 hours. And he was trying to stop the Patriot Act from being renewed. Um, I remember when that happened, I thought, holy moly, that must be like a record. Well, was I wrong? Um, I did a little homework and realized that Rand Paul's not even in the top five. Um, Strom Thurmond from South Carolina, he gets the top bill at 25 hours. This means that the man talked nonstop for 25 hours. I will not go into why he did, um, but needless to say, uh, if you pay any attention to politics, every once in a while, one of these comes up. A senator gets up and just starts talking so that no action can be taken. Um, I, I throw that out to you this morning to say that I think that we've gotten pretty good ourselves with the filibuster with God. Um, we have figured out um, just how much noise we need to make at times to drown out God's voice. Um, We've figured out at times in certain situations, in certain circumstances, even with certain scriptures, um, how to take just enough what we'll call contextual liberty to help ourselves feel okay um, with quietly ignoring what Jesus has said to do. We may not get up in the room and talk out loud, um, but we have figured out ways to drown out God's voice. Maybe if I don't hear him, then I won't have to act on what he's said. But at some point in our relationship with the Lord and our relationship to the Lord, um, we have to come into agreement with him. Um, That's the whole nature of that word that we use, repentance. Repentance is turning from my way, agreeing with God on what he has said about something. We've got to come into agreement with him. Um, we've 
got to come to a place where we not only hear what he says, but further, we believe what he says, and ultimately, we obey what he says. Hopefully, we understand that that's actually what makes us different and distinct. That's what isolates us or makes us different from anyone and everyone else on the face of this earth. We move from hearing to believing to obeying. That's the essence of who God's people are. And this is what finally takes place in the life of Israel at the end of the Exodus. So if you will join me this morning, um, we're going to be in Exodus 39. Um, Next week, we will actually finish Exodus and begin our Christmas series simultaneously. Um, But to catch you up or to make sure that we're all on the same page of what's going on here, um, God has, again, what we've seen over the last several weeks, God has again given the Ten Commandments to his people. Um, He's renewed his covenant with his people. Moses has been transformed in the process of all of this happening. The people, as you saw last week, bring their gifts and their talents um, for the sake of building the tabernacle. And now, finally, the Israelites are going to follow through with what God's asked them to do. So, When you read Exodus 37, 38, 39, if you just kind of take a glimpse at them right now, what you'll see over and over again is that the things that God asked them to do, commanded them to do in Exodus 26, 27, 28, you get to 36, 37, 38, and they do them. In in 37 here, uh, it tells us that with the leadership of Bezalel, they made the ark just like God said to do. They made the table of the bread of the presence. Uh, They made the lampstand, on and on. You move through, they gather all the materials for the tabernacle. The construction of that takes place. Chapter 39, they begin making the priestly garments. They carry all of this out. Now I want you to look in Exodus 39 at the last two verses, verse 42 and 43. It says, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. Just as the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Um, a, a paraphrase of this, these two verses uh, says, so the people of Israel followed all the Lord had commanded Moses, they followed all of his instructions. Moses inspected all their work and blessed them because it had been done just as the Lord had commanded. If you read Exodus 37, 38, 39, you already know the tabernacle's going to pass inspection. Why? Because again, all throughout the previous chapters, we're told repeatedly they did the work just as the Lord commanded. Look in Exodus 37 for just a second with me. In, or excuse me, in 39. Um, in verse 1, it says um, at the very end there, as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
verse 5, the end of the verse, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 7, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And it goes on and on and on. There's four or five more times throughout just chapter 39. Exodus 36 repeats almost verbatim Exodus 26. Why? Because God's instructions were followed down to the very last hook of the very last loop on the very last curtain of the temple and the tabernacle. Same goes for Exodus 37 and 38. It's all this repeat. You compare the accounts and quickly realize that the Israelites were meticulously careful to do exactly what the Lord had told them to do. A driving force um, in Exodus is God repeatedly and consistently saying and defining this. This is what it means for my people to be distinct among all the other peoples of the earth. God keeps saying this through his instructions, through his rebuke, um, through his exhortation. Christians are the people who operate distinctly from the rest of the world. Why? Because we are the ones who operate in and by the presence and the power of God. That's what makes us distinct. Um, We're living our lives in the presence and by the power of God. And as a result, this ought to make us distinct and different. Also, as a result of this, Another thing that makes us very, very distinct is that we become a people who embrace the ordinary. What do I mean by this? Well, let me say this. For us to worship and follow an extraordinary and magnificent God means that we have to be faithful even in and through the ordinary. If God is extraordinary, which he is, then should our lives be extraordinary? Absolutely they should. But they should also strive to glorify him even down into the ordinary. Shouldn't we expect um, marvels and wonders from the Lord? Absolutely. Shouldn't we ask God to do great things in and through our lives? Absolutely. We should and he will. But guess what? That's not when or where you and I struggle or have trouble with following or being faithful. The mountain. I had the opportunity to speak to a room full of 18 to 20 year old Nepali college students. And they had all just come back from being at home. They leave home to come to school. And we talked about how on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember what happened. Peter, James, and John go up. Jesus pulls back the veil. Peter says, let's just stay here and hang out. Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not what I made you for. And they go back down into the valley. We don't struggle with being faithful or with following on the mountain. Where we struggle with it is in the valley. You and I, every once in a while, maybe we have like a Mount of Transfiguration Tuesday or something. 
Those days when everything is just fabulous. I feel close to God. Um, I'm spending time in his word. It just seems like everything's fallen into place in life. I don't really struggle with following the Lord on those days. But how about mundane, ordinary Monday? That's a little bit different sometimes. If we want the Lord to do the marvelous, then we have to be faithful even in the mundane. And that gets tough sometimes. And if you want to go and read back through Exodus, I think you might find a few occasions where the life of the Israelites might be classified as mundane. Well, I guess we'll get up today and go get some manna. Maybe do a few other things out here in the wilderness. We'll watch Moses go into the tabernacle. I mean, they're wandering. I think it probably got a bit mundane. Here's the deal. We have to begin to understand that God is going to do the most significant things in our lives over a long period of time, born out of what we ought to just kind of call everyday faithfulness. Um, We obviously are living in a day and a time and a culture where we we love our high-speed Google Fiber Internet. I mean, if something takes... Uh, more than a nanosecond to boot up or to be in front of my face when I beckon it, uh, I'm getting really bent out of shape. Uh, Using the microwave as an analogy, that's just long past us. Uh, We were listening to a comedian while we were in Nepal joking around about the fact that there are instructions on the Pop-Tart box for how to microwave the Pop-Tart. If you need to microwave a Pop-Tart, it's possible you're too busy. I, I'm just throwing that out there. We, we are uh, in the midst of the chaos and the movement. Um, we want everything now. We would love a silver bullet. We would love a magic pill. In the midst of that, in the midst of that mindset and that culture and that lifestyle, we have to give ourselves over to a different standard. One that says, I'm going to get up on Monday and I'm going to seek the Lord with my whole heart. I'm going to serve him with my whole life. I'm going to be obedient to his word and I'm going to walk in faithfulness to him. Why? Because we believe that after a couple of decades of that faithfulness, God is going to do things that you and I can't even imagine. Sometimes that doesn't feel exciting. But you know, I don't think that every day of my life needs to be exciting. But it does need to be faithful. Faithful to the one who has saved me, called me, redeemed me. The truth is, and I know I don't need to tell you this, but there is obviously no silver bullet, no magic pill But again, there is everyday faithfulness. In the ordinary, submitting to the word of God and living out our faith in the day in and the day out of Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, we take it as it comes. In light of this ordinary 
faithfulness, this everyday faithfulness, when we transport ourselves back into the story here, we see, again, that one of the things that makes God's people distinct is that we hear the word of God, we believe the word of God, and we obey the word of God. The Exodus It's all about God's desire to rescue his people from slavery and into a relationship with him. And I want to encourage you to constantly remind yourself of this. God did not just save us from, he saved us to. The song that we sang a few minutes ago together, was, it was a song of declaration and praise to Jesus, but it was also a song of declaration of what we have been called to, that the name of Christ has been placed over our lives. And so my life is now spent to carry that name wherever I go, to whomever I go, whyever I go there. I don't think that's good English, but you understand. The Exodus was about God displaying his glory throughout the whole earth to all nations through the lives of his people. In order to do this, the Israelites had to move once and for all from belief to obedience. And so do we. Um, Last week, while I was in Nepal, so a little bit for you of what uh, we experienced and went through. Um, We were in Kathmandu for several days, and then we got to go up into villages throughout the Himalayas and see some work that's being done for the kingdom. Um, As we were trekking, there were about eight to ten times that we came upon bridges. I think I put a picture in here. Here's Dan coming across. Yeah, I hear you gasping. Um, Most of these bridges were easily like 100 yards long. Some of them were 100 yards high off the ground, um, spanning a chasm with a massive rushing current underneath it. The thing about it is, with any of these bridges, you can believe the bridge will hold you and still never cross it. I could literally still be sitting back there where Green Backpack Man is going, I know it'll hold me, but I just don't know if I want to step out there right now. But when you walk across it, you know that it holds because you've arrived on the other side. You may get sick this week and you may get so sick that you finally get so desperate that you call the doctor and you go see the doctor and the doctor says... You know what? Classic symptoms. Here's what you got. Here's my prescription for you. I'll call it in. You can believe the medicine is going to help you and never swallow it. But when you take it, if it really is the remedy, you'll know it. Because you'll get well. You'll get better. You'll see the evidence of the faith that you had that This is going to help. Friends, we can believe that God exists. We can believe that Jesus Christ 
was the son of God and that he was a great man and a great prophet and a great teacher. The question is, will we move from just believing to obeying? That really is the big question. First, we've got to come to see and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on a cross to atone for our sins, who rose from the dead so that we might have eternal life. Then our belief must move us and lead us to obedience. Remember, you search the Gospels, and if you find this, you come and let me know. I don't see anywhere where Jesus said to Peter or to Andrew or to James or to John, come and believe in me. He said, hey guys, come follow me. And then you watch them wrestle for three years with their belief. So much so that at times they even said to Jesus, help me with my unbelief. But they were still following. Until then, until we're willing to obey, we're just standing on the other side of the valley saying that we believe in the bridge. And what we need to understand is the sad reality, but the reality nonetheless is that's the same place where the demons are. That's where they reside. Look with me for just a moment in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, just look with me at um, verses 18 and 19. James says, someone will say, you have faith, I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You believe that God is who he says he is. You believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Great, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. The demons believe, and they tremble in fear of Jesus, but they don't follow him and obey him. They don't do what he says. They say, nope, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do things my own way. Jesus said, turn with me to the Gospel of John. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, very, very plain and simple, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You don't even have to turn the page. John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you walk with me, you obey me, you will bear fruit. You will, your life will give off evidence. And by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you prove to be my disciples. You don't just believe that bridge will hold you. You walked across it. The Exodus, the tabernacle, and ultimately the promised land were about God's people moving from just hearing to believing to obeying. You can also 
see that the Exodus, the tabernacle, and ultimately the promised land were all a foreshadowing of who our Savior would be and what he would do, what he would accomplish on our behalf, that we might come to him, hear him, follow him, believe him, obey him, that we might, as Paul says in Romans, walk in newness of life. I don't know about you, um, but I am all over some newness of life right now. I need that. Desperately. As we begin celebrating Advent together this season, leading into and celebrating the coming of our King, the greatest thing that you or I could do is surrender our lives to Him. You may say, well, hey, Brian, I did that when I was eight and I was baptized. I, I, I'm with you. But what I'm saying is, is that there's this daily process of me saying, yes, Lord, I have believed, but because of my belief, I want to follow. I want to obey. For you and I to be able to say, Lord Jesus, I want my life to bring you glory uh, to you and your kingdom I don't want to simply hear, I want to believe, and I want my belief to be full-grown and mature in obedience to you. Friends, if you want to know the true joy of Christmas, it's only found in Christ. It's only found in following him, obeying him. Go back here with me for just a moment in John 15. Look with me at verse 5. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples the night before he dies. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Every once in a while, when I have a little bit more brain capacity than I normally do, I like to listen to and read John Piper. And John Piper does like a question and answer thing. And one time somebody called in and they asked the question, hey, uh, Pastor John, what comes first? My obedience to Jesus or my joy in Jesus? I want to read to you what he said. He says, seeing Jesus as satisfying and experiencing him as precious is the pathway to obedience, not just the result of obedience. You can't obey first in order to enjoy 
if the enjoyment of him is the path to obedience. If we treat obedience as something we do first, and then all joy in Jesus follows, we will have turned obedience into a work of the law or a legal external performance that has in it no Christ-exalting worth and therefore will not result in true enjoyment of Jesus. All Christ-exalting, gospel-rooted obedience is the obedience of faith. Obedience comes from faith. And faith is a seeing and savoring of the truth and beauty and worth of Jesus in the gospel. Therefore, faith, specifically what Paul in Philippians 1.25 calls the joy of faith, is the root of all Christ-exalting obedience, not just the fruit. You understand what he just says there? The joy of faith is not just the fruit, it's the root So, by all means, cease from all outward sin. Cease. But let the main battle of your life be not just against outward actions that have to change, but mainly against inward blindness that needs to be overcome with fresh glimpses of the glory of Christ. Then the new obedience will not be a tribute to your willpower, but a tribute to the beauty of Christ that has broken the power of the deceitfulness of sin. Christ died so that you and I might walk in and by and through the Spirit. If you look here a little bit further on in John 5, 15, Jesus says in verse 16, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Friends, you have heard the good news of the gospel. Do you believe? If you believe, Will you obey? Will you be faithful? Will we be faithful even in the mundane and the ordinary? Will God find us faithful there? Um, Because of what Christ has done, we can move from hearing to believing to obeying. Not so that God will love us, but because he has already loved us in Christ. I want to ask you just to bow your head for a moment, if you would. The band's about to come, and we're going to respond to the Lord in song. We have the opportunity to sing and declare these words this morning. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Lord, you're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Lord, we live for you. Lord Jesus, today... We want to begin this month, um, this season, by declaring it is all about you. And Lord, we ask you this morning, through the power of your spirit and your word, to reveal anywhere in our life 
where maybe we're camped out on the side saying that we believe, but you have said move, you have said go, you have said step out, you have said speak, and we're still hanging on. Lord, would you give us the faith and the courage today to let go? Lord, like Peter stepping out of the boat into the water, that we would just say, Lord, if you lead, I will follow. Father God, I thank you for this room full of precious people. Lord, we thank you this morning that you look at each one of us with the heart of our Father. You love us. You desire to make us new. In just a moment as we sing together, I want to encourage you, if if you need to just spend this time in prayer, we invite you to come to the foot of the cross or to the steps. Just make that an altar. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, service ends, some of our pastors and elders will be up here at the front and they would love nothing more today than to have the opportunity to share the gospel with you. Maybe just to pray with you. Lord Jesus, we come in these moments and we proclaim that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are worthy You are the Lamb who is worthy. You are the great shepherd. You are the Prince of Peace. Be glorified through our praise. Let's stand together.